It's the one time it just doesn't matter. Just sweat it out. That's what I do. So, yeah, as I said, if you're visiting for the first time, this is, this is just us. We recognize that there's a supernatural God who wants to do stuff in our hearts and in our lives. And so we're open to it. And uh, if it's your first time here, I just want to say be open to it as well. If you're sitting and going, this is just strange to me and I, I don't know exactly how, no, how this works, just be open to what God wants to do. And so it's a great joy to be with you again. We're continuing our series called Foundations. And what we're looking at today is this word called the gospel and how does it change me? And we're, we're loving the series. And in fact, people are on Alpha Course. We've got over 50 people of all different walks of life. We're sort of tracking through something similar as well. But if you're exploring faith here today, uh, I was chatting to someone actually who is wanting to explore faith uh, on last week. And so we were just having a conversation. And uh, the person said, I'm just really curious to find out more. And it's just stuck with me. And so my challenge to you if you're exploring faith here today is to stay curious. Keep exploring. Stay inquisitive. Search. Even if you've believed before, is there a God? And, and you haven't really thought of that. Stay curious. Keep exploring. Don't shut out what God might want to do. So if you're exploring faith, today's message will give you a very clear roadmap on what being a Christian actually means. Because many of us can have different perspectives, but it will give a very clear picture on that. And maybe you have a newfound faith in Christ. We've got a number of people here who very recently had their lives changed by Jesus. This will give you the most wonderful confidence in what you now believe. And finally, if you've known God for many years, you've known Jesus for many years, this will give you a greater joy in knowing his astounding goodness over your life. And so we'll answer the question, what is the gospel? And now the word gospel is translated from a word evangelion, which means good news. That's what it means. The gospel means good news. It speaks about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and the benefits that you and I can have access to as a result of that. So here's a few passages that speak about this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4. This is considered some of the earliest writings after Jesus' death. We spoke the past few weeks about evidence for the faith in which we believe. These are some of the earliest manuscript documents come out of 1 Corinthians 15. This is what it says. Uh, Paul, the apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, the good news I preached to you, which you have received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And so Paul's being clear here, saying the gospel, the good news, is about Jesus and what he accomplished. In Romans 16 verse 25, the first part, Paul says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Other translations would say to establish you, to ground you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we see here that the gospel is the most important thing for us to get as Christ followers, for us to understand if we're not yes Christ followers, and it is the thing that establishes us in our faith. And so the gospel is not something that we move on from. It's not something that we understand as a Christ follower and go, oh, I don't need that anymore. It is of first importance, and we have to understand it to establish ourselves. It's not something we grow out of as we mature in Christ. It's something that we grow deeper in 
as we continue in our faith. And so we must come to God humbly, we must come as children, and we must embrace what the good news of Jesus means. And then in Mark 1 verse 1, it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so if there was any doubt when I'm talking about the gospel or when we speak about it, it is about Jesus. It's spoken many times in the New Testament, but it says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're talking about today. It's about Jesus. God exists in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Each person is co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent. Together they're God. And within this triune God is Jesus, the Son of God. And so what, what is the gospel? What's the story? And it's easy for us growing up in Zimbabwe, living here, to kind of feel that we all understand what it is, whether we've gone to a school that has Anglican tradition, uh, whether we've gone to a school that has Christian tradition, we kind of think, well, yes, I understand what Christianity is about, but we need to understand it for sure. See, God created a perfect world, and then he created man in his image to enjoy it together with him. God didn't need us, but he wanted to have us in a relationship with us. But man's sin corrupted God's perfect world. I don't know if anyone was watching the different countdown that we did. I didn't even see anyone trying the dance moves, but we'll try it again next week. Uh, and you must watch them. But one of the things that he does as a dance move is about Adam and Eve taking this fruit from the tree. It's brilliant. You should learn it with your kids. So uh, we'll, we'll help you out on that later. But man's sin corrupted God's perfect world. And so Jesus came to pay the price for that sin. He couldn't brush our mess under the carpet because then he would violate his holiness. But his love prevented him from doing nothing. And so his love made him pay the price for it. And so Jesus, the Son of God, came to bear the wrath of the Father against sin. We're going to talk about that. Why is God angry about sin? What is the cost of it? So that we could be set free from our rebellion against God. There's no way to pay the price on our own because we're all corrupted by sin. It's like us trying to clean a dirty floor with a dirty cloth. We just kind of rub in the mess. And that's like us trying to sort out sin on our own. We've got mess in our own lives. So how can we sort out a mess in the world and in our lives when we're born with it? And so Jesus was born humbly, he lived perfectly, he died horrifically, and he rose from the dead powerfully so that we might have an opportunity for this fractured, broken relationship to be restored, to become part of God's eternal family. And so the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is about God reaching down, not us reaching up. It's about embracing God's goodness, not trying harder to be better in our own strength. The gospel is about supernatural faith, not human intellect. It's about the imperfect being made right with God. It's about light crushing darkness. It's about truth smashing lies. It's the impossible becoming possible. It's the gospel. It's Jesus. And we all need it. We're going to talk about that more. That's the truth of the gospel. And so the gospel is both a moment that it happens one, one moment for each of us, but it's also a journey. We're changed in an instant by the gospel, and then over time, we're transformed by it. But how are we actually saved by the gospel, which is the question we're looking at? Well, it happens in three ways. It happens in three ways that I heard from a friend once. We see Jesus, we believe in Jesus, and we receive from Jesus. We see Jesus, we believe in him, and we receive from him. So firstly, we see Jesus. 
One of my favorite passages of all time, 2 Corinthians 4, says here in verse 4 to 6, in their case, this is anybody who doesn't know Christ, anybody who hasn't given their life to Christ, the God of this world, God small g talking about Satan. We believe God is real just as much as we believe Satan, the devil, is real in the spiritual realms. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so there's this real enemy, and he is dead set on preventing anyone coming to faith. If you're exploring faith here today, he is dead set on you not accepting what Jesus has done. And so he wants us to think of Jesus as a moral teacher. We looked at this last week as a intelligent scholar, as a spiritual guru, maybe as a fictional history character, anything to shroud his true identity as Christ, the Son of God. But then God, Jesus' light shines and draws us toward him. John Newton, some of you may know uh, him, a famous slave trader infamous we should say <laughs> not famous infamous slave trader he was turned a christ follower and he wrote the incredible words in a song many of us may know amazing grace where he said i once was blind but now i see i lived in blindness i lived in darkness the god of this age had blinded my eyes but then in a moment i saw i saw jesus and so we see him god works in our lives and we see him. He graciously shines his light. And he's the first mover in the equation. God is the one who first reaches out to us. We suddenly see him for who he is. It could be through creation. It might be through a message like you're hearing today. It could be reading scripture. There's been many people who've just picked up a Bible and as they've read, the light has shone. Maybe a life circumstance, a testimony from a friend, a healing that happens. God chooses the method, but his light shines. But this seeing... Can't, it can't end there for us, for us to be saved by the gospel. Seeing has to move to believing. It has to. John 3 verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. See where it says that whoever believes in him, not just sees him, not just acknowledges him, but believes in him. There's a massive difference between seeing Jesus and believing him. In Jesus. If you're not a believer in Christ here today, you're currently perishing. It says there, for God so loved the world, he gave his son, whoever believes in him should not perish. Meaning if you don't believe in him, you are in your current state perishing. As the famous song says, you're on the highway to hell. Anybody who has not received what Jesus has done is perishing and the end destination is hell without making a choice to change lanes onto the highway of life you're assured that spot in hell there's two tracks and without making an active decision to move from one to the next you're assured the destination of where one track is going so let me say this again you have to make a decision to believe in jesus you don't drift into a relationship with jesus you don't just magically become a christ follower you make an active definite decision to believe in him and in that moment everything changes see on the cross there were two thieves being crucified with jesus one believed and was saved from his sin 
He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He recognized, he saw, but he didn't only see, he believed. And Jesus said, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. But the other turned and made a mockery. The other rejected Jesus for king. He saw him, but he rejected him for the king that he was, and he was not saved. So what Jesus has done on the cross for each of us is enough, but it's not automatic. It is enough for every one of us in this room, but it is not automatic. It is sufficient, but we have to make a decision. You have to believe. You have to say, Jesus, I believe you're the one you say you are. I believe you died on the cross to save me from my sin. I believe. It's an active decision, I believe. John 5, 39 to 40. Jesus was talking to the religious leaders. Talk about them in a bit, but they thought they had it all together. And we looked at this last week. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that they bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me. You refuse to believe that you may have life. To access life, we have to come. It doesn't happen by mistake. And so there's a huge difference between believing about someone and believing in them. There's a big difference between believing that there's a big guy in the sky somewhere. Oh yeah, there's a, there's a big guy there somewhere. I know there's a God somewhere. But believing in him and asking him to transform you from the inside out. It moves from a head belief to a heart belief. It's believing that he's truly God and you hand over control of your life to him. And as you do that, immediately something happens. So you see, as you believe, you immediately receive the wonderful benefits of a relationship with him. Romans 1 verse 16, Paul wrote, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. Romans 3, 21 to 22. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed attested by the law and the prophets the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe and there's no distinction and so what do we gain what are the benefits we receive we receive by the power of God this free gift of righteousness that means being in right standing with God it means the payment for our sin gone so when he sees us he sees perfection and so you see you believe through faith and you receive everlasting life from him your sin and mess is paid for by christ your past present and future sin your eternal destiny has changed you change tracks you move from highway to hell to highway to heaven in an instant it's astounding it's amazing we must never get tired of this but you might have a few questions as we get towards the end first question why do i even need god's righteousness why do we even need it valid question many people ask it it's because you and i are sinners and we're guilty on account of sin twice. Firstly, from something called inherited sin, from Adam and Eve. We spoke about this in the garden, Romans 5, verse 19. And you might say, well, that isn't fair, Craig. That wasn't me. That was Adam and Eve. Why should I get the blame from God for something that I never did? Why should that happen? Well, I would ask you the question, is were you born perfect? For those of us with children, do we need to teach our toddlers to disobey us? We don't teach them. They do it instinctively. They do it as part of themselves. In fact, we train them to not disobey us, but they just love to disobey us. Where does that come from? If we're born perfect, where does it come from? Inherited sin. 
the brokenness and the depravity of our spirits, we inherit that. We can't do anything about that. That's the first thing. It happens instinctively, inherited. But secondly, because of intentional sin, things we do on purpose that are against God. There's no one living who would say they have not sinned against a perfect God. In fact, Romans 3 verse 23, it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us have made his standard of perfection. I could do this easily. We could test it out. There wouldn't be a single hand here or person who put up their hand to say, I'd be so happy. DVD of everything I thought, did, and said the past week. Let's put it up on the screen and I'm happy for everybody to watch it. None of us. Why? Intentional sin. Brokenness and mess in our lives. We're all guilty from this. And then the other reason is, why do we need it? Because we're worse than we thought. You might think you're a pretty good person, but here are just a few phrases that Scripture uses to describe our state without God. A sinful corpse, darkened, ignorant, worthless, deserving of death. Scary words, but I think it's true when I look at my heart. I think it's true if I was to open up everything I've ever thought, said, and done. I think it's true. So if you're thinking when it comes to God's measuring scale that you're doing well, that's not how God sees things. He's perfect, and he can't be in the presence of sin. And so there's a huge divide. He's so holy and so far above us that when he sees us, he doesn't see the difference on a scale of goodness like we do. That person's a murderer. That person committed that crime. All I did was lie. All that I did was covet that person's car. No, in God's perfection, he just sees mess because that's his level of perfection. Friends, he just sees whether we're forgiven or whether we're not forgiven. And our primary need in life, more than anything else, is to be forgiven. More than healing, more than provision, more than an easy life, it's forgiveness. It's what everybody needs. That is our primary need. You might say, well, I thought that Christianity was about doing good, about being good people. Many people view Christianity as fundamentally being about a good, being a good person. If I just live the right way, if I'm just good and upright, a moral citizen, then one day God will accept me. I'll, I'll, I'll make the pass mark, whatever it is, God. I don't know what it is. But one day when I die, I'll make it. It's going to be fine because there's people a lot worse than me. So I'm okay. And this way of thinking, I believe, comes about from a way of life. If you do well in school, you get a prize. If you come first in sport, you get an award. If you progress in business, you get a promotion. So we start to think the Lord thinks the same way. That he divides the world into deserving people and undeserving. They did the pass mark. They didn't. They get accepted in heaven. They don't. Except that isn't what God does. There's no one deserving when compared to him. Everyone is undeserving. We're all in the same camp. So whilst Christians should try to do good, doing good doesn't make God accept us. It's whether in the undeserving camp we've received forgiveness or we haven't. We're all undeserving, but it's have we received it? Have we not? That's the only divider. Ephesians 2 verse 8 to, say, 8 to 10, it says, By grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. We don't do this on our own. It's the gift of God. Not as a result of works, not as a result of trying harder, being better than other people. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Notice the, the difference there. He saves us by his goodness, and then the outworking is living well. But we don't live well to be saved by him. They happen in reverse. We're saved by his free gift of grace, and then we work on the back of it. Martin Luther said, we are saved by faith alone, but not by faith that remains alone. 
There has to be fruit in our lives. There has to be an outward-looking effect of God working on the inside. The gospel is not a list of things to do. It's a gift to be received. The gospel is not a list of things to do. It's news to be believed. Last two. How could I miss out on being saved by God? Might be two or three minutes over. How could I miss out on being saved by God? By trying to be good or by being bad? If you want to miss out on God saving you, try to be a good person and see if he accepts you or be a really bad person and see if he accepts you. Because being good and being bad are not what makes God accept or reject us. And some of you may know the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. You might not. And there was the son who took his inheritance money early. He said, Dad, I'd rather as if you were dead, give me the cash. And he just squandered it. He blew it. When he was at rock bottom, he came back to his dad. And his dad sees him from a long way off. His dad runs towards him and says, I, let's have a party, you've come home. The older brother refuses to join the party because he said, how could someone so messed up be accepted by my father? I've been working so hard, I'm perfect. And yet, look at what the father's done. And so I am not gonna join the party. And so that's the picture. If the son had stayed squandering his life, wouldn't be saved. The older brother who, who's the good person who refuses to join the party not saved. Who's saved? The one who comes to the Father and enjoys the celebration. Not good, not bad, the ones who accept what the Father's done. So we come to him to be saved. The Bible, interestingly enough, says that if we try to get to God by our good deeds, and this is graphic, the Bible is graphic, it says our good deeds are like filthy rags, used menstrual towels, in God's eyes. If we believe that somehow my dirty cloth, God, I'm going to clean everything up. I'm going to get to you by being good. He's like, you know, compared to my holiness, it's never going to get there. Don't waste your time. But we receive from him and then we live good on the back of it. So don't reject his righteous offer. Realize your need before him. Receive his gift today. What happens when I receive this gift? The Bible says we take on God's sinless, perfect life. Your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, For our sake, He, God, made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Through Jesus we become right. John 1 verse 12 to 13, But to all who did receive Him, to all who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood. We can't get born into knowing God. We can't be born because our parents are Christians. We become Christians. No. Nor by the will of the flesh. We can't do it on our own by trying harder. Nor by the will of man. By people around us. Other people trying for us. But of God. Grace can be spelled out. God's riches at Christ's expense. Our righteousness costs Jesus everything. But we receive it for free. It's a free gift of faith. The Lamb of God was sacrificed on the cross so that we might receive life. But how do you know that you're really forgiven? If you make a decision to follow Jesus today, I'm going to give you an opportunity in a few minutes. How do you know that you're forgiven? During the time the Israelites were in captivity in Egypt, there were these different plagues that came upon Pharaoh and the people because he wouldn't let God's people go. The final one was that if he would not let the people go, the firstborn of everybody who didn't paste the blood of a lamb on their doorpost, their eldest would die. And so for the people who believed in what God said, they would have 
taken the blood of a lamb and they would have pasted it on a doorpost. Probably looked a little bit like a cross, the cross of Christ. It was a forerunner. Can you imagine waiting? And the angel of death comes and you hear wailing and crying in houses next to you as firstborn kids die one after the other. And you're waiting and you're going, will the blood of the lamb be enough? Will it be enough? And you've got your oldest son and you're cuddling your oldest son and you're just going, are they going to die? Will it be enough? And then the angel of death pass over and maybe you hear some wailing in the distance and you go, it was enough. For you and I, the blood of the ultimate lamb, the blood of Christ, it's enough. The wrath of God passes over us because of Jesus. It is enough. Just as they would have thought that. On the cross, Jesus cried out, Tetelestai. It means it is finished. It was what was stamped on a bill when a payment had been made. Paid in full. This bill has been paid. When Jesus cried it out on the cross, he was saying, it's done. I've paid it. Don't try to pay it anymore. I have paid it. Last one before we stand and pray. Can I get thrown out of God's family? Important. Can I lose it? If I make this decision, Craig, can I lose it? We know the gospel is more about belief than behavior. You know, our precious daughters, Layla and Erin, they will always be our girls. They can mess up. They can reject us. They can do what they want. They will be our girls. Why? Because they were born from us. They're ours. It's our DNA. They're ours. Nothing will ever change that. Do I get sad when they sin? Yes. Will that stop them being my daughters? Never. It's the same with God. Once you become part of his family, you are part of his family. You're there. We're going to mess up and he knows it. It's why he paid the price on the cross. But behavior will not stop that. You become an entirely new creation. You're not a better version of the old self. You are a new self. That's how God sees you. In John 10 verse 28, he said, I give them eternal life. This is Jesus. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father has given them to me. And he is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. So once you give your life to Christ, heaven is home. He's in your heart. Nothing's going to change that. The one thing I would add, this is important to note before we stand. There's a big difference between sinning and returning to God and asking for repentance compared to sinning against God and enjoying it. You may need to ask whether you've truly believed and received if at the moment you're going against God's plans and you're enjoying it and you have no intention of changing. That would show that probably on the inside, you haven't actually been changed. It's important to ask these questions. Maybe that you think you have, but you haven't actually handed over your life to Christ. We're all going to make mistakes and fail, but we need to assess whether our heart state is to follow Jesus or not. And only you and I can decide that for ourselves. If that's the case, reassess. If you're not sure, make a decision today. And then don't look back. Embrace what it means to be a child of God.